0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different
1: locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are so grateful. This is the one time of the year where Miss Michelle and I my princess of 41 years and about 30 days get to join together and share with you and give you a treasure of how we arrived in our journey of raising six children, our youngest being 21, our oldest being 39, four or five of our six children, four, five, four of our five children, Uh, One is with the Lord, and four of the five are in ministry with us together, serving. One is preaching in Houston this morning, the church they founded. I prayed with him this morning. The other one I talked to this morning. He was supposed to be preaching in Mississippi this morning. And then, of course, Joseph is here, and Amberly is here. Jacob Jr. is in Nashville. So people often look at how you get started. So let me show you a little picture of how we got started. Okay. That is Acadian Village. Smitten. Listen, did I told y'all Me. I had it going on back in the day? That's my jar ass jeans right there with the crease in them. Little flip-flops, little shirt. Come on. Y'all know I had some swag. Okay? And there's the next one. That is my princess on the day that I married her 41 years and 30 days ago. And I've kept her smiling just like that ever since. God bless you if you believe that. This is uh, one of our destined trips. And then uh, this is our our crew. crew. Uh, All across the way, this is part of our crew and our nephew and niece, uh, Chris and Danielle. That's a great wedding picture that we had with them. And then this baby, tell them who that is. These are our four precious grandchildren. So the oldest one is Eli
0: Thomas holding John Wesley To the right is uh, Finley Kate. Left is Shiloh Addie. That is our legacy, right there.
1: All right. And this was at the gender reveal for John Wesley when we discovered he was going to be a boy. And uh, this is all of our all of our whole crew that are now on their destiny. Uh, The oldest one is about halfway there when he does in complete cycle all of them will be preaching the gospel and all of them will be in ministry serving the Lord. The people often wonder and go, Pastor, that's a great picture. Do you know what it took to get to that picture? How many remember picture day if you ever had? Remember, how many are old enough to remember Olin Mills? yeah. And, and, and you would try to get everybody dressed and you were fighting and punching each other and they were slapping each other. and You were doing everything short of cussing. And some of you were cussing to get them in that picture to finally smile like, (laughs) and all of those things that go on, that's kind of typical of life. Mm -hmm. Michelle and I have walked together. I've actually known her since she was 12 years old. But we have walked together as husband and wife since she was 18. She graduated from high school a year early, went to a year of Bible college, came back, proposed to me, and I accepted. (laughs) Just willingly gave myself as a willing sacrifice to the Lord, and he has used me. And since that time, we've walked through many things in life. You walk through toddlers, and then you walk through pregnancies. And then you walk through diapers. And then you walk through everybody has the rotor virus, And then you walk through all everybody's finally in school. And then you walk through everybody's finally in junior high school. And then you walk through everybody's finally in high school. And then you walk through everybody's finally out of high school and now going to college or pursuing their career. And then you finally get to the stage in life where it's just like you and her And you survived. And our goal was to come to this season of our life and not just survive, but to be more in love with each other than ever before. And by God's mercy and grace, it is God. We have the best marriage of anyone that I know and everyone that knows us knows we have the best marriage. And it is God. Because we come from two different worlds. Michelle came from a perfect family. Her parents married and lived right next door to Miss Louise's mom and dad. and dad all of her life. So Michelle never knew a time where she didn't see her grandparents every day. The other grandparents lived across the street. So all of the children, all seven of them grew up. Most of them stayed in town and most of them lived within three blocks of the home that they went to when they were born. I'm married. You remember Leave it to Beaver? I'm married into Leave it to Beaver's family. The Cajun, Leave it to Boudreaux. Leave it to Boudreaux. That's the family I'm married into. Now, my family was the exact opposite. My daddy was married five times. My earliest memories are the police coming to my house and stopping a fight between my mom and dad. My earliest memories are my sisters getting pregnant 13, 14, and 15. My earliest memories of, of discipline were I never got it when I should have. And then, when I finally, they should have done what they should have done a long time ago, then they tried to beat the devil out of me and I ran away. One time, my daddy was beating me and I ran away in my drawers a block down the road and hid in a bush. And still had more clothes on than most people do today when they go to the beach. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but must there was somebody here. <laughs> What happens when those two families come together? She knows everything that's right by nature. I know nothing that's right by nurture. Nothing. And now here we are pulled together in our ark, which is our family. You see, my marriage is the ark. Your marriage is the ark. In the beginning of the year, I challenged you and said, if you wanted this to be the best year of your life, how many of you want it to be the best year of your life? But it's got to be the best year of your life spiritually, because you are a spiritual being having a temporary physical experience on earth. So when Michelle and I talked this week, we thought, what can we share? Like while you have this arc and and the winds of culture, and the winds of sexuality of every shape and size, and the winds of even the weekend, Sunday, what it means, who it belongs to. Discipline, what that means. How we resolve conflict as, a, as marriage partners, what that means. How could we give you four anchors that would carry you through the storms of life and keep your arc headed in the right direction? So today, if you'll allow us that's what we want to do. And so I want to begin by deferring to the person who grew up knowing what it was to have sanity in your life and to have a great family, my beautiful princess of 41 years. And I want to give you the scripture because this is her, and this is her family, and this is her grandparents and great-grandparents for generations. Psalms 92 verse 13 through 15 says this, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish flourish in the courts of our God. Growing in grace, they will still thrive and bear fruit and prosper in their old age. They will flourish and be vital and rich, fresh in trust and love and contentment. They are living memorials to declare that the Lord is upright and that God himself is is faithful to his promises. Now, before she speaks, I want to lay one more little minute groundwork. The way you parent, the way you do marriage, what you do with your money, what you do on Sunday is either determined by what this says or by what culture says. The less that people have honored this, the more they've devalued the word of God, the more they've elevated the opinion of others. So today's goal is to take this and do this. Why? Because this is always changing. This is always changing. This heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word and God's standards will never, ever, ever pass away.
0: I love when Pastor Jacob asked me to speak about this passage because it's one of my foundational passages There are precious promises in the word of God that I hold fast to for a lifetime and being planted in the house of the Lord is one of them. When it says those who are planted will flourish, that is a promise, but it's also a choice because we choose to be planted or not. We're all adults in here and we all have a free will and we all have choices. So for those who would choose so wisely to be planted, you will flourish. And this is why. Because when you're planted in the house of God and you're in a good season, your life is filled with purpose and people are on your radar who have great need. They're coming into the house of God because they're bringing needs with them and you get to encourage them and you get to be life to them and be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. But when your season comes, and your season, it will come, life affords us all the good, and the challenging. And when your season comes and you're planted, you're on the radar of healthy people who are planted in the house, who see you, and they become the hands and the feet of Jesus to you. And they love you in a way that could only be Christ-like. And I want to give you a visual of what planting means. We recently... A couple of months ago, Pastor Jacob and I were in Israel. I'm a gardener. It's what I do as my hobby and my passion. He's a hunter. It's what he does with his. He doesn't even care for gardening. But we're in Israel, and we spent a day with this guy whose doctorate is in horticulture and agriculture. And the Israelis have come up with this crazy, effective um, technology where they have these really thin solar panels that go above greenhouses, and they're producing three times the yield to compensate for world hunger that's about to hit everybody. So they're ahead of the game on this, right? So they're trying to implement this worldwide. When we get back to the hotel, we were so impressed with what they're producing. Get back to the hotel, and Pastor Jacob goes, baby, we need to bring this to Malawi, Africa, where we have 21 villages. You'll hear about that later. But it's an organization we've been a part of for 12 years. It's where there are Go-Go's, which are grandmothers. So a gogo would be 65 till you die. And there's orphans. They are caring for the orphans. So we support them so they can send the agricultural wealth, the historical wealth, the spiritual wealth to the next generation, which are these orphans. Because the big swath in the middle has died of AIDS. So, ironically, two weeks ago, Ambly and I are in Africa checking on our villages. And one of our colleagues there, with the team there, is phenomenal. But one of our colleagues just got his master's in agriculture, horticulture, and he studied in Israel. And his specialty is greenhouses because he wants to compensate for the lack of. Malawi is a third world country where people really are dying right now of starvation. So he wants to bring this, this technology. So one day we walk through these gardens, I will call it. Let's just say maybe eight acres to the right, eight acres to the left. We never walked at all because it was so vast. But I want to show you a picture. And I want you to think about yourself. What kind of planting are you when you see this visual? So these lime green small plants were planted, right? But they were not planted in good soil. And that's why they look anemic. But right adjacent to them is the dark green, lavish, tall, and we saw we, acres and acres and acres of lush plantings. Y'all, these plantings were planted by grandmothers. They don't have electricity. They don't have those kind of tools. They have a little garden hoe, but there's thousands of them, and they are preparing for their future because they have, this is a sustainable life for them to stay alive, they chose to plant. Your choosing to plant determines your sustainability of your life and the life for you, for your children, and your grandchildren. When we sang that song, The Blessing, I cannot help but breathe in that blessing for my family. I speak every one of my children's names when we, when we sing that song, and I apply it to my family, but you know what? I only heard that song because I showed up this morning. I can only encourage myself because I've chosen to be planted in good seasons and bad seasons. Y'all, I've dragged my children to church to be planted like you drag your children. Do you think my children, because they were pastor's kids, like coming to church any more than your children may on some given day, especially when they're teenagers? No, but it's a choice because the Bible says those who are planted will flourish We live a flourishing life today because we have planted up. Because of that, we have friended up. The people in this room are who we choose to do life with. Not perfect people, but because they've chosen to be here, it tells me that they're purposeful people. Stay planted in the house of God. It is a precious promise. Hold fast to that for you and to your family.
1: How many of you know... Of people that either were related to someone or know someone who passed away during the COVID crisis, raise your hand. How many of you can say with me, "Who sent COVID"? Okay, let me help you. It didn't come from this world. Okay, I'm not talking about China. Who sent COVID? Who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? It comes to steal and and. Jesus said that the devil comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it to the full. How many of you are thankful you or ones that you love didn't die with COVID? Raise your hand. Okay. Look at me. Don't get too busy rejoicing because that's the second thing the devil comes to do. The first thing that he comes to do is steal. steal during COVID from 2020 in March. 50% or more of the people that regularly attended church on Sunday 24 months later did not. Do you know why? They weren't killed, but the devil stole a priority of honoring the Sabbath as God's day. And he claimed it from being God's day to theirs. Our grandparents call Sunday the Sabbath. Our parents called it the Lord's day. This generation calls it the weekend. Listen carefully to me, and those of you that are watching at home, I'm not mad at anybody, okay? And the church is doing financially well. But the greatest ploy of the enemy is to get a sheep away from the flock and away from the shepherd. Because when he gets you away from the flock and he gets you away from the shepherd, he's got you. He's got you. Do you know why so many people, the suicide rate went up? People were out of fellowship. Do you know why ODs went up? People were out of fellowship. Do you know why more divorces happened? People were out of fellowship. Do you know why people now are medicating more than ever before? People were out of fellowship. I'm going to show you something. Michelle's family, half of her grandchildren, the grandchildren of her parents, are in ministry. All of her siblings, uh, five of the seven, have been in full-time ministry. But that happened because one day her father, who was very, very Catholic and went to mass every day of his life, that's where he met her mom. They both went to Cathedral Carmel, and at fifth grade they liked each other, would see each other at mass. They got married when she, mom, was eighteen; he was nineteen. He's an only child, and they had seven children. Just go ahead. Go wow. Okay, seven children. It became overwhelming for him and though he feared God and loved God by the tradition that he grew up in, he didn't really know the power of God. And so he began to struggle with addiction. And when we're under pressure, we're all going to go to something for help. You're going to eat. You're going to be angry. You're going to drink. You're going to worry. You're going to work. You're going to check out and go do your favorite hobby. All of us are going to do something. And he drank. And finally, Miss Louise, Miss Michelle's mom, said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. We have seven children. And she moved out and moved in with her sister, the stomas. Divorce was going to be the inevitable outcome. And one day while he was leaving mass in the morning, knowing every day that he went, but he still couldn't get free from alcohol, he pulled in a startup church right down the road from Cathedral. It was a church like ours. And he knocked on the door and he said, is there anybody here that can help me? I want to do what's right, but I can't stop drinking. My wife and seven children are separated from me. And a pastor took him, led him to the Lord, prayed for him. He got delivered from alcohol, baptized in the Holy Spirit. He went and got Miss Louise, brought her back that night to a meeting. The same thing happened to her. They reconciled. And today, all of their children are serving the Lord. The majority of their grandchildren are in ministry preaching the gospel. I have one question for you What happens if they're not planted in the house of God? What happens if they're not planted? And so I did a little survey this week. I called some of the most amazing people in this church and I asked them this question. I said, I want to ask you a question, and I'm not going to use your name, but right now, would you be married and where would you be in your relationships if you were not planted in church when difficulties came? Do you know what they said? We'd be divorced. We'd be divorced. So I'm going to just give just a general thing across the board. How many of you, the only reason your marriage survived is because you were planted in the house of God. Raise your hand. Look around you. Look around you.
0: Look around you. And baby, I want to add something. You know, when I look across, when I spoke about planting, planting is a choice. And I look across these congregations, every single service, and I, I see strong people who are individuals who have choices. When we counsel married people, let's say we're speaking to the woman or the man, and they go, you know, my spouse just doesn't like coming to church. And you know what we say? We don't care. You have only, only you have control over one person in that scenario, and that would be you. So you choose for your family, and you choose for your children to come to church. Eventually, statistics say more than likely that spice, spouse will come. When they go through their hard season, you know what? The Bible says the righteous run into the house of God to find safety. When they need safety, you have patterned for them. You have patterned for your children. This is where you come for safety. And husbands, the same thing. If you have a wife that really doesn't care for church, it's okay. You're a grown man. You get up on Sunday morning, you dress your children, and you bring them to church because you're teaching them how to friend up and how to be in a safe place.
1: Leah, I wanna use just a little part of your story. How many of you know Leah and H.J., hit, it, hit with H.J.? Leah came by herself, bought a ticket to an Arise Women's Conference that Michelle and Miss Heidi were putting on. She came, never been in the church before, got born again. The next day, the next weekend came, went back home, said, I'm going to that church. H.J. said, I'm not going. Okay, she got herself together, got all the children together. How many weeks was it? Three weeks. The third week, she gets up, she gets all the kids together. He gets up, he gets dressed. Listen, the power is not in the fact that I'm the man or I'm the woman. The leader in your family is the one that obeys God's word, not the one who has the last name. Yes. Suppose she had said, Well, uh, I mean, I'd like to go, but I mean, my husband's not going. So I guess that I shouldn't stay planted in the house of God. And those of you sitting at home that aren't in jail, get your butt in church. Quit sitting at home. That's where the enemy wants you. You can't get what you get at home right here. And everybody in this building is clapping. Come on, clap and let them know that's true. It doesn't have to be our church. Any church that preaches the Bible, get there. Okay, we got a lot to share. Number two, the, the power of identity. The first one was the power of playing. The second was the power of identity. How many of you remember hearing this when you were growing up? Boy, there's a lot of peer pressure out there. You know what peer pressure used to be? Five of your closest friends. You would hear people say something like this: "Go, hey, how's your son doing? Well, he started hanging around with some bad kids at school. You know, three bad kids, and he just got around them. Them Aranza boys, you know how they are. Watch this. Do you know what peer pressure is today? Five million people you follow on social media. At least you knew the reality about the three to five people that surrounded you at home, for the best of your knowledge." Do you think you actually know the reality of all the fake lives and fake faces and fake fillers and fake everything else on their body that's being put out on social media? It's all a lie. It's all an image. And so because of that, that becomes an influence. Psychologists have come up with a new word called social contagion. Social contagion. they when Michelle grew up, y'all are going to find this hard to believe that this beautiful princess was a tomboy. How many girls do we have here that were tomboys? That's living proof of what I just said. Tomboys always grow up to be the prettiest girls. Her last spanking she got when she was 11 years old, her mama came, her daddy came around the corner and her and her brothers were playing football at the end of the field of their house and they were had shirts and skins and Michelle joined the skins. I was
0: recruited on my (laughs) dad. Her
1: her daddy came around that corner and saw her with her shirt off at 11 years old, drug her to the house, spanked her. And then as punishment made her wear a dress for the next three weeks. (laughs) Now watch this. Do you know what happens when a girl dresses like a boy today? They look at other people who are projecting something they're not because it's all an experiment because none of them know what it looks like at the end. And do you know what ends up happening? They begin identifying themselves by their emotion. How do you identify your children when millions of people in culture are telling them something different than you? I want to tell you how. It's right in the Word of God. In Matthew 3, 13, you've heard me say what Jesus modeled, Jesus meant. Watch this. Then Jesus left Galilee to come to Jordan to be baptized by John. And when he waded into the water, John resisted him saying, why are you doing this? I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. And yet you come to be baptized by me. Jesus replied, it's the only right to do all that God requires. Then John baptized him. Now watch this. As Jesus rose out of the water, a heavenly realm opened up over him and he saw the Holy Spirit descend out of heaven and rest upon him in the form of a dove. Then suddenly the voice of the father shouted from the sky saying, this is my son, this is my son the Beloved. my Greatest delight is in, in one moment. Do you know what God did? He named him. He claimed him and he blessed him. Look right here. Whoever names, claims, and blesses your children repeatedly is going to be the one that determines their identity. Right after this, if you know your Bible, he went into the wilderness and the devil tried to say, if you're really the son of God, because the enemy's design is to try to rob you of your God-given identity. Let me give you one little quick story that will help you see this so clearly. It illustrates so much of what we walk through specifically with our boys. Amberly has been easy, but with the boys. We had a big backyard, and so we lived over across the street in Chelsea, and the boys always played football, and every boy in the neighborhood, if you have five boys, they always gather at your house, and a football or a basketball game breaks out. So they're playing Football in the end, and you're you know, and the parent. You're just glad that you're not refereeing anybody. That you just get a moment of solace. So Michelle and I are inside the house, and all of a sudden you hear, ah! and as a parent and with the multiple children, there are different types of screams. There's like scream that doesn't mean anything. There's like scream that was probably a tooth scream that was probably a leg scream that was probably a broken arm. Just different screams mean different things. This sound like something was broken scream. So I open up the back door and I yell, what's going on? And I see Haddon is laying on the ground, crying profusely and Christian standing over him just like this. So Christian's 16 and Haddon's seven. Yeah, so Haddon is seven and probably about this tall. Christian is 16 and about 6'3". And I go, what happened? he goes, he dropped a pass that hit him right in the hands. He's not a football player. And had jumps up and said, what did he do to you? He goes, I just dropped a pass in my boat. He said, I'm not a football player. I said, you're screaming because he said you're not a football player. I goes, yes, he said I'm not a football player. So I called him in the house. I told Christian to stop saying stupid things or I would beat him till he would cry. And so I bring Haddon in the house, and I bring him over. Back then, if you've ever been to my house, I had have a little more now than I had then. But we have a lot of, well, I've worked with a lot of pro athletes down through the years, Chaplain Saints, all kinds of different stuff. So we have autographed Michael Jordan jerseys, Shaquille O'Neal jerseys, Shaq shoe autographed from Ricky Williams, Mike Didgov, Jerry. Wright. I mean, all of these different paraphernalias. And so I marched him into the room and he's still screaming. And I said, Look at me, look at me. I said, Listen, listen. Who is Christian's dad? He goes, You are. I said, Who is Jacob Jr.'s dad? He goes, You are. I said, Who is Joseph's dad? He goes, You are. I said, Who is goes, are. I said Who's Wesley's dad? He goes, You are. I said, When we started having boys, I started praying God would give us a football player. Jacob Jr. was a basketball player till he discovered girls and guitars. (laughs) Christian was a hockey player, a great hockey player and a basketball player. Joseph was a soccer player till he discovered a guitar and girls. Okay, Wesley was a soccer player. And I said, "But son, when you were born, we finally got a football player." I said, "You see all these jerseys right here?" He said, "Uh." I said, "You know who knows these players?" He goes, "You do." I said, "You know who used to be the chaplain for the Saints?" He said, "You were." I said, "So I've been around football. I played football. I've seen people play football." And son, you are a football player. Now I want you to say this: I'm a football player. <laughs> I said so say it like you mean it he goes I'm a, I'm a football player I said say it like you mean it he goes I'm a football player I said you're a football player don't you ever forget it 11 years later we're on the floor of the Superdome I'm on the sidelines and St. Thomas More is playing for their first state championship the team that had not was on and as the game was winding out And finally it goes down to zero and they begin running across the field. I run out and I grab him and say, son, you are a football player. Aren't you glad you listened to your daddy? Look at me. As culture tries to tell your children everything about their identity, it's important that you do exactly what God did for his son. You name them, you claim them, and you bless them over and 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 over They will change, but this won't change.
0: And I want to say this to the parents. You know, there's something so odd to me that's happening in this day and age. You have parents who didn't get something from their parents that they need, and now they're trying to get it from their children. I'm dead serious. And you see parents following their kids. And whatever their kids are doing, the parents are following. And the children are manipulating the kids. And the parents are dishing out phones and money and cars. And the children are running the house. Y'all, I had six children. I have five very strong-willed boys We really didn't even care what they thought because we have a high calling. I'm called a parent and my job is to parent because I see further down the road than they do. And if I parent them correctly, one day they will see what I see and they may kick and scream the whole way, but it's okay because I know better and I love deeper.
1: One of the things that Michelle loves to say is, I don't need to be my child's friend. They have a bunch of friends. They only have one mama and one daddy. Friends will change. Mama and daddy aren't going anywhere.
0: 100%.
1: And I want to add to that, honestly, if you
0: do it right, and y'all, we fumbled a lot along the way. It wasn't this easy journey, but we just never gave up. We never quit. But if you do it right today... On any given day, every single day, every one of my adult children call me and him a minimal of three times. We are now their best friends because now we can be friends with them. They're adults. It's the best thing in the whole world.
1: You earn the right by you, the way you raise your children to decide if they want to be your friends yes. when they get older. Yes. Well, we, we, went, we went to, we have a, a, a camp on the pavilion, so we went to our camp the other day. Okay, just like, like just to get a little breathing space, like like a, a little love fest, just like to get away. Because okay. they're up on us. We get ready to leave. Joseph goes, "Where y'all going?" Oh baby, we're going to the campus, twenty eight minutes away." I mean, what about us? All of a sudden, you got a wife and kids. Why don't y'all just figure that out? I mean, you got your own house and everything. Amberly looks at us. Are y'all really leaving?
0: She's twenty one. She's like, "Y'all just gonna leave me by myself." I would have loved if my parents left me by myself.
1: We literally, we go, we're driving there, had and calls, what are y'all doing? Well, baby, we're, we're going 28 minutes away from our home to, to the, the camp. P- well, what are y'all going to do there? Anything grown up adults with a marriage license want to do. How about that? Look at me. If we would have tried to play down to their approval and try to find our value and significance in them instead of taking God's Word and telling them who God said they were and doing the hard job that God called us to do, we wouldn't have the relationship that we have right now. We're long ways away from perfect But I thank God we understood number four, which is the power of boundaries and discipline. Why are boundaries and discipline so important? And why are they so hard to do? Maybe you feel like, Pastor, if I let it go, then maybe it'll get better with time. Do bills get better with time if you don't pay them? No, they just come and cut off your lights. You can ignore it all you want to, but one day you're going to get cut off. Proverbs thirteen twenty-four says this if you withhold correction and punishment from your children, you demonstrate a lack of true love. So prove your love. Come on, say it loud. Prove your love. And be Prompt to, to them. why do we discipline our children? Why do we discipline our children? Why do we spank our children? And I'm gonna talk about that in just a moment. For some of you time out <laughs> gurus people. Here is the fruit of discipline. Hebrews 12, 11. For the time being, no discipline brings. You remember when parents used to say, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. You know what I'd say? Good. Then you bend over and give me the belt and we'll both be better off. But it seems, and yet to those who have been trained by it, not, not you, you should have spanked but you didn't and now you're doing it in anger because you didn't do what you should have done before you lost your head. But afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, righteousness right standings with and a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to and God's design through discipline is for your children to seek your approval, not for you to seek their approval. Let me say that again. God's design for discipline is for your children to want to please you, not you because of the brokenness of your past and what you didn't get from your broken parents to try to get from your kids, what you never got as a child. That's a whole lot better than y'all are responding, but that's okay. Listen carefully. We don't discipline our children so we will love them. They're our children. Come on, ET shows you that if somebody's your kid, no matter how ugly they are, you'll love them. You discipline your children so other people will love them. You discipline them. From discipline, they learn self-discipline. And from self-discipline, they learn self-control. And then they
0: become happy adults. So when the Bible speaks about the rod of correction, I want to clarify this for y'all. So we have all these boys. First of all, you don't reason with a child. You don't have a discussion with your child.
1: Say that again.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you this. You have a brain. When you were young, let's just say younger than 12, do you remember your parents sitting you down and just talking over and over and over and all you heard was the bobbing head? You didn't even care what they were saying. You didn't have the capacity to even process it. You don't reason with a child. You train a child. You lead a child and you teach a child. So when we're saying the rod of correction, let me tell you what it is and what it's not. We never beat our children. We never left marks on our children. Okay, there was none of that. We had a rod of correction, the paddle hanging in the kitchen. You got three swats. This is what you got three swats for. And my boy, there is a a switch that connects the butt to the brain. Because you can say all day long, baby, don't do that. Mama said, don't do that. Did you hear what mama said? Mama said, you're not going to get cookies after dinner if you do that. They don't care. Okay, you swat them three times. It's amazing. It's a miracle. They got it all of a sudden. Okay, They got swats for things like ball-face lying, hurting their sibling, or being disrespectful to their parents. That was worth correction. Do you know what a spanking does? You spank three times, they cry, you rub their hiney, you pray for them, and they go out and play and it's over. It's over. It's like it never happened. And they're happier afterward. When you send a child to time out because you're angry with them or you corrected them. Do you know what that child is sitting in the room thinking of? They're thinking about how much they hate you and how mad they are at you. And they can't even emotionally process what they're sitting there by themselves doing. It is not productive, I'm telling you. You can send them time out a million times over. Correction is about restoration, not isolation when you send a child away, God doesn't send us away. He corrects us. The Bible says whom the Lord loves, he corrects. He doesn't isolate us and send us away to ourselves.
1: My God, the problem of our entire generation is they allow their motions to define reality as though somehow emotions last. They're called emotion because it means they're in motion. In motion. Do you know why you come to church at our Savior's church? You know what you're going to get every week. It's not going to be the greatest message you ever heard. You'll hear a few Mexicoon jokes. You'll laugh a little bit. I'll teach you a little bit of the Bible. You'll walk out going, I can't believe he said that. Okay? And, and, but, but it's consistent. Do you know what your children want from you? The same thing they want consistency. Listen carefully to me. A generation of adults that have allowed their emotions to divide, to define their sexuality went from being, okay, palomorous, one woman doesn't satisfy me, I must need two, to, oh, that doesn't satisfy me, I must be gay. Oh, that doesn't satisfy me, I must be bi. Oh, that doesn't, sin is never satisfied, y'all. You ever sat down and go, I'm just going to have two beers this time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's never satisfied. So whatever you do, it continues to grow. That same generation that now has LGBTQR, it's a generation that allows their emotions to define their reality. Look at me. There isn't a man here alive that doesn't look at a, a good looking woman walks up and they don't think, wow, she's good looking. Does that mean you're a pervert? No, that means you have eyes. But it also means that you set your eyes and your heart and it controls your emotions, but you don't allow yourself to dwell on that and allow it to go to the next level. Because if you did, it would lead you into violation, not only of your family, but first of the word of God. And it would separate you from God and it would end up separating you from everybody that you love. So the goal is, listen to me, to surrender my emotions to the one that made them, (laughs) emotions are great to live with they're terrible to live by so watch this the same adults that are doing that every sort of form of sexuality except pleasure are also obese they can't control what they do they can't control what they eat they can't control what they say they can't control what they look at and now we have a generation of children who've not been disciplined, so they don't know self-discipline or self-control. And they're medicated on anxiety pills, on fear pills, on depression pills, because they are allowing their emotions to define them. Listen carefully to me. I know this is a generalization. But Dr. Spock the man who 40 or 50 years ago said we shouldn't discipline our children instead we should have time out we have practiced on an entire generation and produced the most unruly vile crime ridden lack of self control children in generation of all of mankind
0: and and i want to add just just for the record so the child you know all of our children were pretty well behaved except christian Christian needed to be beat every day, multiple times a day, just because he was so unruly. Again, three swats is what I'm calling a beating. Do you know where that rod of correction hangs today?
1: Tell them how, who made it?
0: Oh, when Christian was like 12, my parents had Louise's unfinished furniture and they had a workshop, and he came back from spending a day with Granny and Gramps, and he made the rod of correction for his little brother, Wesley, with a little rope that hung on the kitchen door conveniently in case Wesley needed it. Ironically, the person who got it the most was Christian. Okay, Christian is now a grown adult, and Christian has three children. And about four years ago, right after they had their third child, he came to the house and he goes, where's that rod of correction? Can I have it? Like, it was the coveted thing. I'm like, yeah, sure, take it. He goes, I'm not joking. And he said this, he goes, mama, they don't care about words. They don't care about timeout. He goes, When I spanked their behind, got in line. We go on with life. It hangs at his house today. It works. The Word of God works. This is not a Pastor Jacob and Miss Michelle idea. This is a truth idea.
1: God help the scientist. God help the psychiatrist, the psychologist who have practiced on an entire generation. And they're willing to go back a billion miles to try to find life on the, on the moon, but they won't go six inches to a woman to find life in the womb. It's not because it's about science. It's about a belief to take away and dishonor the God that made them and the God they will one day answer to. So today, y'all can probably tell we're kind of passionate about this. We are. We are. Because we love you. And we want the pain that we've walked through and the truths that we've walked through and the timeless principles of God's Word that never change to bring stability and security to you and your parenting and your being a grandparent. Some of you are raising your grandchildren and you're the only godly influence on them. And listen to me. If we do not create a new legacy What are we leaving to our children, and what kind of world will they be left in?
0: And I want to say this last little thing. If you're a person in this room, if you're young, you're still a person of influence. I love today my daughter-in-law, Rochelle, her grandfather, who's very old now. His days are very short. He came to the Lord because she got planted in the house. And she started flourishing, the only one in her family, and he followed suit. And now he's bringing the other lost children to, a child will lead them. Anyone, God will use anything. You just obey the word of God and you show up.
1: Father, today, as Michelle and I join hands and married couples across this room join hands, we stand first with the single moms and dads who have to be mama and daddy. We stand with the grandparents who are fulfilling a role because someone dropped the ball or was incapable along the way because of some ability or disability. We ask you in the name of Jesus to raise up a new standard and let it begin with us, who people who practically take your word for what it says and don't try to water it down or don't try to wash it away because culture says something different. Your word says heaven and earth will pass away but your word will never pass away. Today we ask you in the name of Jesus that a witness be raised up in every mom and dad here. Those that are single parents. Those that are married. That they be united together in the power of agreement to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To not allow disagreement to come in between them and to separate them but to unite together to be moms and dads who represent the heavenly father, the one who really matters. One day we will all stand before you and it won't be what did culture say. It won't be what did our children say. It will be what did our father say and what did he expect us to do. Today as shepherds, you've asked Michelle and I and all of our pastors on this team to prepare these precious people for that day. Today, we pray. We've taken another step towards that. We bless every family. We bless every parent. We bless every marriage. We bless every grandparent. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me right now? I know each week at the end of each service, we say, if you don't know Jesus and you need to be born again, we give you an opportunity. We're gonna have counselors up at the front afterwards. But we want to sing this song in dismissal the blessing over you, over your children, over your grandchildren, the one that we sang earlier. And then we're going to sing one stanza and you can feel free to go just as you want to go. But thank you for allowing us to be your pastors. Did you appreciate this today? Did you appreciate us Opening up the cupboard of our heart and sharing with you.